Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Carl Schultz, who is the director of the Genesis Personal Development Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's an author, speaker, and retreat leader on motivational, gender relations, biblical spirituality, time and stress management, organizational development topics. Carl is known nationally for his innovative books and workshops on Lexio Divina, the ancient Christian model of holistic spiritual reading and living. With Carl Schultz, we're going inside the pages of How to Pray with the Bible, the ancient prayer form of Lexio Divina Made Simple, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be with you, Chris. Carl, I personally don't think there's anything more important in true scripture study than to have the fruits of praying with scripture. And I think that's what your book helps us to accomplish. That's a great point, Chris. I know one thing. You read Pope Benedict because that sounds just like him. That's, in fact, that's been one of his themes mm-hmm. going back to when he was the head of the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith about the importance of not getting, letting biblical criticism or biblical study in the minute analysis of the biblical text make it dry. And it's mm-hmm. not just been his concern. Other, a lot of biblical scholars have noted, and it's just like a, um, sort of like a, 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 a pendulum swing. Um, when Catholics in the 1940s got the go-ahead from Pius XII to really get into this, they really got into it, and mm-hmm. it did great. But there's always that, that tension that we have to maintain between biblical study, between the literal meaning, and the applied or homiletic meaning and that prayerful meaning. In fact, I don't like to use the term Bible study groups. I like Bible sharing groups. Mm-hmm. Because I, fi- I find the, the original audience for the Bible was not people, who was not academics. It was not people who were studying it. It was people who were sharing it, right. listening to it orally and, and wrestling with it. So, yeah, I like, you know, I like your word, uh, use of the word pray, and that's why simple can go because it's straightforward. It's, I like to use the term, it's a dialogue with God. Hmm. And I think that's why we hear the term Lectio Divina, but that's what you're doing, is you're praying with the Bible. Exactly. I, uh, you know, Lectio Divina, when you think of it, is one of the few Latin terms that's really stayed in the mainstream vernacular of the Church. I mean, we have a lot with the liturgy and so forth. You can't replace the term because it's rich in meaning. Lectio means read or listen, because it was an oral, A-U-R-A-L, or O-R-A-L, oral oral culture. So it means to read or listen, and and for them reading, their physiology was that when you read, it would go down into like a chamber, into a funnel, into the heart. So it's heart-level reading. It's not um, just intellectual reading. Divina would mean divine or spiritual. So, yeah, I think it's... I, I once had an email from Cardinal Martini, who is the person who's really written the most, the most, he has 40 books on it. He was the Archbishop of Milan, and he was actually, you know, in the first um, papal con- in the con- conclave, was tied with Cardinal Ratzinger um, for the thing. And he taught people all over Europe, and really the world over it. And uh, I got an email from him in response to this book, and he said, this is the way we pray the Bible in the Church. And mm-hmm. I thought it's interesting. Rather than saying, you know, he's a world-class text critic, an expert in the ancient manuscripts, and he, he just, this is how we pray the Bible in the Church. And with the new evangelization, this is how we can share it with people who are either, quote, fallen away Catholics mm-hmm. or non-Catholics. This is, it's, it's a generic human way of, you know, responding to God's Word. And it really is what the early Church did to be able to get that 
stuff of life that help feed their faith and to be able to help sustain them, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, again, that's a good point, Chris. It's, I use the word seminal. It's an innate. It's really the innate, the natural way we do it. And it goes even back further than the early church. It goes back to the way the Hebrew Scriptures or Old Testament was put together. I mean, they brought these stories together. They brought them in the community. That's why as Catholics we read it in the context of community, because that's the way it was put together. To this day, I always find Scripture comes alive to me the most, either in the Mass or with other people. Not to say that private reading or devotional reading isn't important, which it certainly is. It's, a, it's sort of like the, um, the gas that keeps the car running, but the oil that keeps those parts moving is sharing it with others and seeing it played out not only in the Bible, but seeing it played out in life as God continues to reveal himself. Carl, for those who are not familiar with Lexio Divina, could you give us an overview of what it is and how you would describe it as a method? First of all, folks who read the Bible already do it in some way. So let's keep the stages. Let's, uh, I'll overview them. Reading or listening, meditation, prayer, contemplation, and action. And you, a lot of people who write on Lexio don't put action in there, but I do because it was, it was always in there. But in the Middle Ages, Richard of St. Victor, they articulated more specifically, and particularly for laypersons, I want them to see it's a dynamic thing, because the message throughout Scripture is it's not enough to hear the Word of God, we need to put it into practice. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just us doing it as if we're going to, quote, earn our way to heaven, it's God taking the action in our lives. But the way we do it is we read slowly and aloud. We take a short person, portion of Scripture without question, the best way to go is to use either the Liturgy of the Hours or the, the lectionary, the Sunday readings and the daily readings. For oh. most people, I, I would highly suggest the daily readings or the Sunday readings, the lectionary, first, because the Liturgy of the Hours requires a little more of a commitment in it. You have to learn how to do it, and that's what the priests are, are supposed to do, or called the Divine Office. So that's great if you can build up to that, or if you can start with that. But I like to go with the... the the lectionary, because those readings have been put together so well, and, and, they, and they help us with this principle, biblical interpretation rule, Scripture interprets Scripture. They all, the Old Testament, New Testament, Epistle reading, and the Gospel, and the Psalm, all four, come together, and they show the, in the internal unity of Scriptures. But we read it, uh, we read a short passage, slowly and aloud, and we read until a, a, a word, a phrase, an image, strikes us. Now, I don't want people to have this impression that they have to have some angel whisper in their ear or anything <laughs> like that. And I write, I've written 10 books on this, and in, I've spoken on all over the world, and in most cases, when I read it privately, my experience is dry. It's dry. You know, there could be various reasons for that. Sometimes it's probably because maybe I don't come with the right disposition. Other times it's just God's way of testing. The dark, uh, John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul, and it's just like going to Mass. We don't go to Mass primarily for what we get out of it. We go in response to God's invitation, to what we want to put into it in response to God's initiative. So it's the same with the Bible. When it's not a results-oriented thing, it's effort. So we read that slowly and aloud until we come to something that strikes us. And it's, quote, our word. And in the Bible, logos in Greek, or devar in Hebrew, means a word, a phrase, an image. It doesn't have to be just one word. It could be a verse. Anything that touches us. And then what we do is repeat it. Mm-hmm. over and over. In Psalm uh, 1, verse 2, says the just man, happy the man who meditates, they actually use the word murmur, 
repeat it over and over. And if you watch a rabbi reading uh, the Torah, the Five Books of Moses or the Tanakh, their scripture, and if you watch, if you ever see a picture of them doing it at the Wailing Wall, you'll notice two, th- actually three things. They're physically involved. They'll use their finger to, like, just like they teach lectures, going That's from right to left. They'll use their finger, to, and that pays attention to the grammar. Then they'll, they'll, they'll mouth the words. That's like that psalm, murmuring in that Psalm chapter 1. Because when you murmur something, when you use, when you whisper, and this is how the monks did it in the Benedictine tradition, when you whisper, you not only engage your sight in reading it, but you engage your speech and your hearing. And the monks talked about tasting the Word of God, taste and see that the Lord is good, the, 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 the taste experience. And then in terms of if you use your finger to slow you down, pay attention to grammar, and that's the touch. So, and then you'll see them, them rocking back and forth, which is called shookling. Because, and I asked the rabbi why they did that, and he says the Word of God has an energy, and it evokes a response in us. So when we read it slowly and aloud, then when we find this word, we repeat it over and over, then we naturally move into meditation. Two distinctions in meditation. The ancient me- meditation is simply re- repetition over and over. That's a little foreign to us because we're used to, we have all this media, so we don't need to memorize things. But right. the repetition enables us to memorize, or it enables us to internalize and open up the scriptures a little bit. And then that leads naturally to the more medieval perhaps Jesuit, of discursive meditation, where it leads to application or thought to thought. So we apply it. Now, we notice we started with the sensate, the physical. We read something. that All our senses were engaged. Now we're in the mental part. And this is the way we interact with other people, isn't it? We start off right. with the senses. We don't, you know, when I meet a woman, when I was in college, I, first thing I was thinking of was whether they had read the latest paper on cyclical. We, we start off at the senses. It's a natural way. And then we go to the mental part, both subconscious in terms of the repetition and the conscious. And that subconscious uh, therapy, it's a way of replacing those negative messages we get in the world, perhaps we've received in our family life, even in an adolescent level, with the Word of God, which is inspired. And we repeat it over and over. Then we have an application. The personal, what does it mean to us? Naturally, that evokes prayer in us, or the affective, how it affects us on the emotional level. And that's just like, again, when we're interacting with someone else, someone we love. We start at the physical, the sensate, then we go to the mental. We process it. We have that, you know, the unconscious response, the conscious response. We enter into a dialogue. Then we go to the affect. We share our feelings in prayer. Then we leads to contemplation or receptive. I call, I break contemplation into active and receptive dialogue. Prayer is the active component. Contemplation is the receptive. It's a dialogue with God. That if we don't do the whole thing, that it could actually almost have a negative effect. It's just like if you interact with somebody, if you have a physical interaction and you have a mental interaction, but you don't get to the level of the emotions and the spirit, it's going to it's going to be bottled up. And it's a nat- in, in that way, it's natural. It's not like some mechanical technique. So after... We, we pray to God, we share our feelings, we let God get a word in edgewise. And this is the toughest part, to just sit there. Brother Lawrence calls it the practice of the presence of God. That, without question for Western people, to just sit there and listen with God. Be still and know that I am God. And then finally, the action is where when we leave Lexio, we, we try to apply it. And it, sometimes it'll come back to us. It becomes a, a centering point for our day. So it's reading or listening hearing the word, meditating on it, 
repeating it and wrestling with it and applying it, prayer, talking to God about it in the context of our life, and then contemplation is just that silent presence where it's, where it's like with a loved one. Your words don't, don't fulfill at some point. They're not enough. You have to just be with the person. You don't have to say anything. And then finally, the action. So that's basically a long description of a method of a rather simple model. We're talking with Carl Schultz, the author of How to Pray with the Bible, the ancient prayer form of Lexio Divina made simple. And Carl, as you describe it, it is something that we should and can enter into, but it does have its obstacles, doesn't it? I, I would say, first of all, I'm, I'm at time, because I think that, that perhaps for us in our busy culture, that might be the number one. But I would, the second one I would say would be expectations. And, and also linked to expectations is recognizing, is, is our general expectations of, of the way our life is. And in terms of dealing with suffering, the dealing with our cross, in other words, God takes the initiative in our life. And in fact, just today, I was thinking, you know, I get discouraged. And what do I do? Lexio comes to me naturally. I like to have the Bible because I go to church on Sunday. I've been, I'm, those, those meetings, those readings are ingrained in me. And I was thinking about Peter's experience during the Garden of Gethsemane, the, what I call the Passion of Peter. How, and James and John, Jesus, human being, brought his best friends, the closest ones who he shared special moments of his ministry. When he wrestled with the Word of God, he, Jesus is the one we, we really try to get close to because he is the Word of God. In fact, that's another point that's very important. He's the primary Word of God, more so than the Bible. Right. So, I mean, and, and we meet him, his mother Teresa and all the popes write, and and the least of these are brothers. So we don't just have to, we don't just do lexio on the Bible. In fact, the pr- the primary way we do lexio is our response to each other, how we live the first two commandments. And in fact, the first commandment, love God with all your your heart, mind, and soul, is holistic. We're loving Him with our whole self. That's what we're doing in lexio. But I would say it would be expectations, really. In other words, to you know, you you go there and like I journal when I lexio. I write. God, mm-hmm. Saint Gregory talks about Scripture as a letter to us and we write back. The expectations are, you know, you want to get enriched, and I, I, I often find that it's when I'm down, when things are going bad, or even when I messed up, is when God seems to come to the rescue, when he inspires me. It's, it's almost like when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke's Gospel, the angel comes and strengthens him. And I would say it's really the expectations and um, also the, uh, the, the fears we have, or really the preoccupations we have, in other words. And, and I would even say that one of the greatest is recognizing God's love for us. That's probably, in, in other words, willing, you know, these basics of faith, hope, and love. Am I willing Am I willing to engage God and trust that, that no matter what message I get on the conscious level, that he's, that he's going to, because if I'm sincere in coming to him, He's going to bring about something positive. He, it's like Jesus uses the, that parable of the person who comes to the friend. He says, if, if the friend will wake up because of our persistence or the corrupt judge will respond to the widow, how much more will God do it? So I would say expectations, and I would also say uh, maybe a lack of confidence. Sometimes people think, well, you know, or they worry about, quote, private interpretation. Private interpretation is a technical term tied to the Reformation, where people would read Scripture and interpret it theologically, independent of the Church teaching, which is a complete misuse of the Bible. None of this is private interpretation. This is a dialogue with God. And then you mentioned about time. I recommend for people that are busy mothers that have you know, several children and you know, taking care of an elderly parent, I need three minutes a day. 
Mm-hmm. You don't have three minutes a day. You're, uh, uh, you're, you're heading for the cardiac unit. That's it, three minutes. It's just like with your spouse. If you don't make a little bit of time every day, things are going to get stale. So, and, and it's true that sometimes our schedules really get out of control. But we, remembering as Catholics that God's Word is more than the Bible, we can say, okay, God speaks to us through the sacraments. They're all biblically based. Through the Eucharist, that's the primary way. Through each other, through our family relationships, through nature. That's a Word of God, according to Genesis 1 and 2. So I would say that time, expectations, and also our fears, and, even, and, and also really the distractions. You know, there's other things that are going to titillate us more, that maybe may, ought, seem to offer more, but are, are we willing to engage God in dialogue? That's the ongoing question. What I loved about uh, your approach to Lectio 2 is that you really you free up people to use all those senses. Because sometimes when I've, I've had people talk about Lectio Divina, they describe it as something you meditate with, you sit and you ponder. But for me, I mean, I need to be able to, do, be able to read aloud and to be able to move and to have all those things, to engage the whole person. Anytime I, I share about Lexio, and that's, that's a, a really good point about the whole person, I, I, I find in, in, that it's not only a personal thing, it's interpersonal. I, I mentioned Cardinal Martini much in my books because I learned Lexio in a large part on a more refined level through the way in his books he humanizes the scriptures. See, that's the key thing, and, and that's... And that's uh, you know, it's that, and, and everything in, in really Catholicism and in life is finding a healthy balance or a healthy tension, keeping the, the human aspect of the scriptures in, in, in healthy tension with the divine. So, yeah, I, I, I think in terms of what you said, Chris, it's each person, it's just like there, there's a, an expression in French as many are there as there are marriages, that many arrangements. There's not just one way to be married, there's fundamental principles, but every couple, every relationship has its unique dynamics. The same with God, and we see often in the Bible, as things are in heaven, so they are on earth. There's that dynamic, and especially in the book of Revelation brings that out clearly. So I think what you said, you know, it's, it's how do you communicate with God? And I avoid using the term method. I, don't let it, I, I, I use the term, it's a model or a process or a description of the natural way we interact with God. And I just, so I don't forget this, Paul VI wrote an encyclical on dialogue during Vatican II. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that term dialogue is so important. It's a dialogue with God. It's an open dialogue with God that is also open to our dialogue with each other because it's so very easy to particularize or compartmentalize uh, our relationship with God. And in fact, a Catholic author, Father Mark Gruber, mentioned that a lot of times Protestants will say, do you accept Jesus as your personal Savior? And he says, well, you know, they're talking about being biblical, and that, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's a, he saves the whole world, and he, we respond to his salvation. So that, I, I, I think that's a good point about using your whole self as a way of loving God. And it can also include getting frustrated. I mean, St. Teresa, you know, the one of the primary teachers of prayer has the classic comment, I think, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. So, I mean, you got to, you know, God, in the book of Job is proof that God encourages us to be real, and especially in the Old Testament. They're always, you know, they're always wrestling with God, even literally in the case of Jacob. Carl, you've done a great job of breaking open for us, in general, what the practice of Lexio Divina is. You've given us a tremendous insights on the obstacles that we will potentially encounter. But also, you've described in your book that that Lexio Divina is flexible enough to deal with 
our differing personalities and how we may approach it as individuals. And Jesus lived this. I mean, he's, he's the best model of Lexio Divina. And then you have Mary. And it's interesting. I just want to, as I bridge that, I, I, I want to, because men and women are listening, and we approach Scripture uniquely as persons, but also differently as men and women. And in Scripture, we have two, isn't it interesting, we have two, besides Jesus, and of course St. Paul and the other characters, we have Mary, who really, she's the ultimate Lexio person. She heard the Word of God and did it. And especially Luke's Gospel focuses on that. But look at St. Joseph. We forget often that he did the same, but St. Joseph did it in silence. So I think it's an interesting, an interesting, Mary did it verbally and in her actions, but Joseph did it too. So I think that's, and I think there's a gender dimension to that in the sense that men are called to be silent. Sometimes we have to take the backstage, even though it's, quote, the society calls us a, a patriarchal, patriarchal culture, we're called to do this humbly and, and to do it through action. Joseph did those things, took him to Egypt. He lived the Word of God. He responded to it. And Mary did it through trust in a receptive way. So I think we have to do um, both of those. But the countercultural, the main thing would be, am I, sounds kind of funny, am I willing to suffer for God's Word? Because if you read the you know, you can't get away from it. I mean, Jesus is like a good doctor. He doesn't, he doesn't hide anything from us. Same with St. Paul. If, if we... Listen to the Word of God, it's going to call us to a closer union with God, and a closer union with Jesus is going to bring us from suffering or the cross to resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's not like, and Pope Paul VI used to always say, whether we like it or not, the thing that we necessarily would choose of our own volition, but it's what God has called us to. So the countercultural part, at least, and this is my particular experience, is am I willing to go down with the Word of God? Am I willing to follow in Jesus' footsteps, experience rejection? and fall in Paul's footsteps, experience confusion, even from people within the Church. Look at, you know, St. Paul had that too. Peter and Paul had quarrels. People, you know, there's quarrels within the family in the Old Testament. Am I willing to, am I willing to lose? And real briefly, there's a model that I discuss in my book, Journaling with Moses and Job, that I got from Cardinal Martini on the three stages in the life of Moses, which is kind of a model, I think, a countercultural model. The first stage of our interaction with God is, Education and formation. We learn how to do it. That's why I wrote those books and I give workshops and retreats. Second stage is generosity and failure. We have good intentions, but things don't turn out the way we want. Mm-hmm. Counter the Word of God. It's God's agenda that's preeminent. And the third stage is discovering the divine initiative. And that's why people use the term the divine signs. What are the divine signs that we're hearing in, in God's Word in the Bible and in the Mass and in, in our daily life? God's still speaking to us. What are those divine signs in the context of the human signs of the times, to use a Paul VI or Vatican II expression? What are the signs of our times? So we have to be fully engaged in this world in, while we're doing it with God. So that, that would be the one example of the counterculture, and also slowing down. Even though I'm talking fast, slowing down. That's really slowing down and just engaging in a dialogue with God, wasting, quote, wasting time. From, at least from a secular point, we're wasting time. We're engaging in a conversation with God mm-hmm. to spend time with Him in response to His initiative with us. No one should ever be in, discouraged from this. It's, we're a particularist religion. Jesus says, if, if whatsoever you do to one of the least of these, my brothers, we're not into big numbers. That's, you know, that's the Old Testament. Moses was a big numbers guy. Jesus is one person at a time. When He rises from the dead, He sees Mary Magdalene. Not a big crowd. Right. 
this method, as you really get into a prayer of Lectional Divina, and as you said, you end up finding God's Word in every day. So you end up using that pondering and that stopping and that discipline that you've developed in yourself, which isn't a harsh discipline at all, but it's very nurturing. You begin to be able to meditate on every action. I, I just find it a, a, such a remarkable spiritual practice. You know, as you were talking, I was saying, it's really, remember, it's all God's initiative. That's why, you know, we don't, there's no pressure with this. It's challenging as all heck. It sounds like a contradiction or a paradox, but it's looking at how has God taken the initiative in my life. That's what I journal on every day from that mosaic model that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when, when God appeared to Moses at the burning book, that the bush was burning, but the scriptures clearly says it's only when Moses started walking to him that he called. We have to respond to that. And the word in Hebrew, sir, means Moses took a long journey. It wasn't like a simple thing for him to walk. He had to risk things. He was in the desert. He was in the wilderness. He was in a mountain. He was in a, a, a not the safest place. Moses had to take the risk, just like we do in our anti-Christian or post-Christian culture. Take the risk, making the time. Risking rejection, risking confusion, risking ridicule, risking making mistakes, and we're going to make mistakes to journey towards it. And, you know, I'd even mentioned to you, one of the hardest things I find is to do Lexio with a spouse. I think, I mean, there's a book called uh, uh, Paul's Press published on it, and I think it's wonderful to do that. But to do Lexio in the family is a wonderful thing, but it's not easy because you have so many other things to do. But you know what? If, when it comes down to it, you can always do the Lord's Prayer. In fact, Thomas Merton, when he would talk to his, his novices, he says, "If you you can always fall back on the Lord's Prayer and the Hail Mary." Because, in fact, can you think of a more suitable topic for Lexia Divina than the Lord's Prayer? Not only because he taught it, but because he lived it. I think Teresa of Avila even gave sentiments of that same respect, and I think that's even reflected in the Catechism on her thoughts. Absolutely, and one of Saint Teresa's excellent insights that I often use is, "Our way to God." is through the human Jesus. It's through the human Jesus. And how do we get that? Through the Lexio. When we, and that's why sometimes, because we're Catholic, we need books like, or we need you, a great topic for Lexio where the papal encyclical. I, I mean, they're, they're, you know, like John Paul II's encyclical on suffering was just drenched in Scripture. I mean, you know, any of these, any of these things, is, they're continually drawing from Scripture. And the advantage is that we're not all Scripture scholars. And the popes have people helping them. It's, it's, you know, when we read encyclicals, we're really, it, it almost in a sense, we're getting, you know, we're getting the Bible interpreted with the Church with some guides for us, and they can help us bring out the humanity of Jesus, because then we see how He lives, and He can relate to our difficulties. So, and we do this through, of course, the Holy Spirit. Carl, thank you so much for the time that you've given us. I wish we had more time, but then... We have Lexio Divina, and we can make that time and be able to be open to God's Word and His action in our everyday lives. And so just encourage people to begin the practice. Thanks. It was a dialogue between us, just like in Scripture. So we, we did a little Lexio, or a preparation for Lexio, even 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 we didn't even know it. God's always working. Thanks, Chris. We've been going inside the pages of How to Pray with the Bible, the ancient prayer form of Lexio Divina Made Simple with Carl Schultz. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to osv.com, the website for our Sunday visitors. To hear and download this discussion along with many others, go to www.insidethepages.com. 
I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.